0: Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Bree Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. Today we will be continuing The Secret Garden by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 24. Let Them Laugh The Secret Garden was not the only one Dickon worked in. Round the cottage on the moor there was a piece of ground enclosed by a low wall of rough stones. Early in the morning and late in the fading twilight and on all the days Colin and Mary did not see him, Dickon worked there planting or tending potatoes and cabbages, turnips and carrots and herbs for his mother. In the company of his creatures he did wonders there and was never tired of doing them, it seemed. While he dug or weeded he whistled or sang bits of Yorkshire moor songs, or talk to Soot or Captain, or the brothers and sisters he had taught to help him. We'd never get on as comfortable as we do, Mrs. Sowerby said, if it wasn't for Dickens' garden. Anything'll grow for him. His taters and cabbages is twice the size of anyone else's, and they've got a flavor with them as nobody's has. When she found a moment to spare, she liked to go out and talk to him. After supper, there was still a long, clear twilight to work in, and that was her quiet time. She could sit upon the low, rough wall and look on and hear stories of the day. She loved this time. There was not only vegetables in this garden. Dickon had bought penny packages of flower seeds now and then and sown bright, sweet-scented things among gooseberry bushes and even cabbages, and he grew borders of mignonette and pinks and pansies and things whose seeds he could save year after year or whose roots would bloom each spring and spread in time into fine clumps. The low wall was one of the prettiest things in Yorkshire, because he had tucked moorland foxglove and ferns, and rockcress and hedgerow flowers into every crevice, until only here and there glimpses of the stones were to be seen. All a chap's got to do to make them thrive, mother, he would say, is to be friends with them, for sure. They're just like the creatures. If they're thirsty, give them drink, and if they're hungry, give them a bit of food. They want to live same as we do. If they'd died, I should feel as if I'd been a bad lad and somehow treated them heartless. It was in these twilight hours that Mrs. Sowerby heard all of all that happened at Misselthwaite Manor. At first she was only told that Mr. Colin had taken a fancy to going out in the grounds with Miss Mary, and that it was doing him good. But it was not long before it was agreed between the two children that Dickens' mother might come into the secret. Somehow it was not doubted that she was safe for sure." So one beautiful still evening, Dickon told the whole story with all the thrilling details of the buried key and the robin and the grey haze which had seemed like deadness and the secret mistress Mary had planned never to reveal, the coming of Dickon and how it had been told to him, the doubt of Mister. Collin and the final drama of his introduction to the hidden domain, combined with the incident of Ben Weatherstaff's angry face peering over the wall and Mister. Collin's sudden indignant strength. "'made Mrs. Sowerby's nice-looking face "'quite change color several times. "'My word,' she said, "'it was a good thing that little lass came to the manor. "'It's been the makin' of her and the savin' of him "'standin' on his feet, "'and us all thinkin' he was a poor half-witted lad "'with not a straight bone in him.' "'She asked a great many questions, "'and her blue eyes were full of deep thinking. "'What do they make of it at the manor, "'him bein' so well and cheerful and never complainin', "'she inquired.' They don't know what to make of it, answered Dickon every day as comes round his face looks different. It's fillin out and doesn't look so sharp and the waxy color is goin, but he has to do his bit o complainin with a highly entertained grin. What for, mercy's name asked Missus Sowerby Dickon chuckled. He does it to keep them from guessin what's happened. If the doctor knew he'd found out he could stand on his feet, he'd likely ride until Mister Craven. Mister Craven saves the secret to tell himself. He's going to practice this magic on his legs every day till his father comes back, and then he's going to march into his room and show him he's as straight as other lads. But him and Miss Mary thinks it's best plan to do a bit of groanin' and frettin' now and then to throw folk off the scent. Mrs. Sowerby was laughing a low comfortable laugh long before he had finished his last sentence. Eh, she said, that pair's enjoyin' theirselves I'll warrant. They'll get a good bit of actin' out of it, and then there's nothing children likes as much as play actin' let's hear what they do, Dickon lad. Dickon stopped weeding and sat up on his heels to tell her. His eyes were twinkling with fun. Mr. Colin is carried down to his chair every time he goes out, he explained, and he flies out at John the footman for not carrying him careful enough. He makes himself as helpless, looking as he can, and never lifts his head until we're out of sight of the house. And he grunts and frets a good bit when he's being settled into his chair. Him and Miss Mary's both got to enjoying it, and when he groans and complains, she'll say, "Poor Colin, does it hurt you so much? Are you so weak as that, poor Colin?" But the trouble is that sometimes they can scarce keep from bursting out laughing. When we get safe into the garden, they laugh till they've no breath left to laugh with, and they have to stuff their faces into Mister. Colin's cushions to keep the gardeners from hearing if any of 'em's about. The more they laugh, the better for 'em," said Missus Sowerby, still laughing herself. Good, healthy child laughins better than pills any day of the year. That pair'll plump up for sure. They are plumpin' up, said Dickon. They're that hungry they don't know how to get enough to eat without makin' talk. Mister Collins says if he keeps sendin' for more food, they won't believe he's an invalid at all. Miss Mary says she'll let him eat her share, but he says that if she goes hungry, she'll get thin, and they both mun get fat at once. Mrs. Sowerby laughed so heartily at the revelation of this difficulty that she quite rocked backward and forward in her blue cloak, and Dickon laughed with her. "'I'll tell thee what, lad,' Mrs. Sowerby said when she could speak. "'I've thought of a way to help 'em. When that goes with in the mornin's, so thou shalt take a pail of good new milk, and I'll bake a crusty cottage loaf or some buns with currants in 'em, same as you children like, nothing so good as fresh milk and bread. Then they could take off the edge of their hunger while they were in the garden.' and the fine food they get indoors would polish off the corners. Eh, hey, mother, said Dickon admiringly. What a wonder thou art. Thou always sees a way out of things. They was quite in a pother yesterday. They didn't see how they was to manage without ordering up more food. They felt that empty inside. They're two young'uns growin' fast, and health's coming back to both of them. Children like that feels like young wolves, and food's flesh and blood to them, said Mrs. Sowerby. Then she smiled Dickon's own curving smile. "'Eh, but they're enjoying themselves for sure,' she said. She was quite right, the comfortable, wonderful mother-creature, and she had never been more so than when she said their play actin would be their joy. Colin and Mary found it one of the most thrilling sources of entertainment. The idea of protecting themselves from the suspicions had been unconsciously suggested to them, first by the puzzled nurse, and then by Dr. Craven himself.' "'Your appetite is improving very much, Master Colin,' the nurse had said one day. "'You used to eat nothing, and so many things disagreed with you.' "'Nothing disagrees with me now,' replied Colin, and then seeing the nurse looking at him curiously, he suddenly re- remembered that perhaps he ought not to appear too well just yet. "'At least things don't so often disagree with me. It's the fresh air.' "'Perhaps it is,' said the nurse, still looking at him with a mystified expression." but I must talk to Dr. Craven about it.' "'How she stared at you,' said Mary when she went away, as if she thought there must be something to find out.' "'I won't have her finding out things,' said Colin. "'No one must begin to find out yet.' When Dr. Craven came that morning, he seemed puzzled also. He asked a number of questions to Colin's great annoyance. "'You stay out in the garden a great deal,' he suggested. "'Where do you go?' "'Colin put on his favorite air of dignified indifference to opinion. "'I will not let anyone know where I go,' he answered. "'I go to a place I like. "'Everyone has orders to keep out of the way. "'I won't be watched and stared at. "'You know that. "'You seem to be out all day, but I do not think it has done you harm. "'I do not think so. "'The nurse says that you eat much more than you have ever done before. "'Perhaps,' said Colin, prompted by a sudden inspiration, "'perhaps it is an unnatural appetite.' I do not think so, as your food seems to agree with you, said Dr. Craven. You are gaining flesh rapidly, and your color is better. Perhaps, perhaps I am bloated and feverish, said Colin, assuming a discouraging air of gloom. People who are not going to live are often... different. Dr. Craven shook his head. He was holding Colin's wrist, and he pushed up his sleeve and felt his arm. You are not feverish, he said thoughtfully, and such flesh as you have gained is healthy. "'If you can keep this up, my boy, we need not talk of dying. "'Your father will be happy to hear of this remarkable improvement.' "'I won't have him told,' Colin broke forth fiercely. "'It will only disappoint him if I get worse again. "'And I may get worse this very night. "'I might have a raging fever. "'I feel as if I might be beginning to have one now. "'I won't have letters written to my father. "'I won't, I won't. "'You are making me angry, and you know that is bad for me. "'I feel hot already.' I hate being written about and being talked over as much as I hate being stared at. Hush, my boy, Dr. Craven soothed him. Nothing shall be written without your permission. You are too sensitive about things. You must not undo the good which has been done. He said no more about writing to Mr. Craven, and when he saw the nurse, he privately warned her that such a possibility must not be mentioned to the patient. The boy is extraordinarily better, he said. His advance seems almost abnormal— But of course he is doing now of his own free will what we could not make him do before. Still, he excites himself very easily, and nothing must be said to irritate him. Mary and Colin were much alarmed and talked together anxiously, from this time dated their plan of play-acting. I may be obliged to have a tantrum, said Colin regretfully. I don't want to have one, and I'm not miserable enough now to work myself into a big one. Perhaps I couldn't have one at all. That lump doesn't come in my throat now, and I keep thinking of nice things instead of horrible ones. But if they talk about writing to my father, I shall have to do something. He made up his mind to eat less. But unfortunately, it was not possible to carry out this brilliant idea when he wakened each morning with an amazing appetite, and the table near his sofa was set with a breakfast of homemade bread, fresh butter, snow-white eggs, raspberry jam, and clotted cream— Mary always breakfasted with him, and when they found themselves at the table, particularly if there were delicate slices of sizzling ham sending forth tempting odors from under a hot silver cover, they would look into each other's eyes in desperation. "'I think we shall have to eat it all this morning, Mary,' Colin always ended by saying. "'We can send away some of the lunch and a great deal of the dinner.' "'But they never found they could send away anything.' And the highly polished condition of the empty plates returned to the pantry awakened much comment. I do wish, Colin would say also, I do wish the slices of ham were thicker, and one muffin each is not enough for anyone. It's enough for a person who is going to die, answered Mary, when she first heard this, but it's not enough for a person who's going to live. I sometimes feel as if I could eat three when those nice fresh heather and gorse smells from the moor come pouring in at the open window. The morning that Dickon, after they had been enjoying themselves in the garden for about two hours, went behind a big rose bush and brought forth two tin pails, and revealed that one was full of rich new milk with cream on the top of it, and that the other held cottage-made currant buns folded in a clean blue and white napkin, buns so carefully tucked in that they were still hot. There was a riot of surprised joyfulness. What a wonderful thing for Mrs. Sowerby to think of! What a kind, clever woman she must be. How good the buns were, and what delicious fresh milk. Magic is in her just as it is in Dickens," said Colin. It makes her think of ways to do things, nice things. She is a magic person. Tell her we are grateful, Dickon. Extremely grateful. He was given to using rather grown-up phrases at times. He enjoyed them. He liked this so much that he improved upon it. Tell her she has been most bounteous and her gratitude is extreme. And then, forgetting his grandeur, he fell to and stuffed himself with buns and drank milk out of the pail in copious draughts, in the manner of any hungry little boy who had been taking unusual exercise and breathing in moorland air, and whose breakfast was more than two hours behind him. This was the beginning of many agreeable incidents of the same kind— They actually awoke to the fact that, as Mrs. Sowerby had fourteen people to provide for, she might not have enough to satisfy two extra appetites every day. So they asked her to let them send some of their shillings to buy things. Dickon made the stimulating discovery that in the wood in the park outside the garden, where Mary had first found him piping to the wild creatures, there was a deep little hollow where you could build a sort of tiny oven with stones and roast potatoes and eggs in it. Roasted eggs were a previously unknown luxury, and very hot potatoes with salt and fresh butter in them were fit for a woodland king, besides being deliciously satisfying. You could buy both potatoes and eggs and eat as many as you liked without feeling as if you were taking food out of the mouths of fourteen people. Every beautiful morning the magic was worked by the mystic circle under the plum tree, which provided a canopy of thickening green leaves after its brief blossom time was ended. After the ceremony, Colin always took his walking exercise, and throughout the day he exercised his newly found power at intervals. Each day he grew stronger and could walk more steadily and cover more ground, and each day his belief in the magic grew stronger, as well it might. He tried one experiment after another, as he felt himself gaining strength, and it was Dickon who showed him the best things of all. "'Yesterday,' he said one morning after an absence, "'I went to Thwaite for mother,' And near the Blue Cow Inn, I seed Bob Haworth. He's the strongest chap in the moor. He's the champion wrestler, and he can jump higher than any other chap and throw the hammer farther. He's gone all the way to Scotland for the sport some years. He's knowed me ever since I was little, and he's friendly sword, and I asked him some questions. The gentry call him an athlete, and I thought of thee, Master Colin, and I says, how did the make the muscle stick out that way, Bob? Did the do anything extra to make thyself so strong? And he says, "'Well, yes, lad, I did. A strong man in a show that came to Thwaite once showed me how to exercise my arms and legs and every muscle in my body.' And I says, "'Could a delicate chap make himself stronger with him, Bob?' And he laughed and says, "'Art thou the delicate chap?' And I says, "'No, but I knows a young gentleman that's getting well of a long illness, and I wish i knowed some of them tricks to tell him about. I didn't say no names, and he didn't ask none. He's friendly same as I said, and he stood up and showed me good-natured-like, and I imitated what he did till I knowed it by heart. Colin had been listening excitedly. "'Can you show me?' he cried. "'Will you?' Aye to be sure,' Dickon answered, getting up. "'But he says them undo him, gentle at first, and be careful not to tire thyself. Rest in between times, and take deep breaths, and don't overdo it.' "'I'll be careful,' said Colin. "'Show me, show me, Dickon. You are the most magic boy in the world.' Dickens stood up on the grass and slowly went through a carefully practical but simple series of muscle exercises. Colin watched them with widening eyes. He could do a few while he was sitting down. Presently he did a few gently while he stood upon his already steadied feet. Mary began to do them also. Soot, who was watching the performance, became much disturbed and left his branch, and hopped about restlessly because he could not do them too. From that time, the exercises were part of the day's duties as much as the magic was. It became possible for both Colin and Mary to do more of them each time they tried, and such appetites were the results that, but for the basket Dickon put down behind the bush each morning when he arrived, they would have been lost. But the little oven in the hollow and Mrs. Sowerby's bounties were so satisfying that Mrs. Medlock and the nurse and Dr. Craven became mystified again. You can trifle with your breakfast and seem to disdain your dinner if you are full to the brim with roasted eggs and potatoes and richly frothed new milk and oat cakes and buns and heather honey and clotted cream. They are eating next to nothing, said the nurse. They'll die of starvation if they can't be persuaded to take some nourishment. And yet see how they look. Look, exclaimed Mrs. Medlock indignantly. Eh. I'm moithered to death with them. They're a pair of young Satans, bursting their jackets one day and the next turning up their noses at the best meals cook can tempt them with. Not a mouthful of that lovely young fowl and bread sauce did they set a fork into yesterday. And the poor woman fair invented a pudding for them, and back it sent. She almost cried. She's afraid she'll be blamed if they starve themselves into their graves. Dr. Craven came and looked at Colin long and carefully. He wore an extremely worried expression when the nurse talked with him and showed him the almost untouched tray of breakfast she had saved for him to look at. But it was even more worried when he sat down by Colin's sofa and examined him. He had been called to London on business and had not seen the boy for nearly two weeks. When young things began to gain health, they gained it rapidly. The waxen tinge had left. Colin's skin in a warm rose showed through it, his beautiful eyes were clear and the hollows under them and in his cheeks and temples had filled out. His once dark heavy locks had begun to look as if they sprang healthily from his forehead and were soft and warm with life. His lips were fuller and of a normal color. In fact, as an imitation of a boy who was a confirmed invalid, he was a disgraceful sight. Dr. Craven held his chin in his hand and thought him over. I am sorry to hear that you do not eat anything, he said. That will not do. You will lose all you have gained, and you have gained amazingly. You ate so well a short time ago. I told you it was an unnatural appetite, answered Colin. Mary was sitting on her stool nearby, and she suddenly made a very queer sound, which she tried so violently to repress that she ended by almost choking. What is the matter, said Dr. Craven, turning to look at her. Mary became quite severe in her manner. It was something between a sneeze and a cough, she replied with reproachful dignity, and it got into my throat. But, she said afterward to Colin, I couldn't stop myself. It just burst out because all at once I couldn't help remembering that last big potato you ate and the way your mouth stretched when you bit through that thick, lovely crust with jam and clotted cream on it. Is there any way in which those children can get food secretly? Dr. Craven inquired of Mrs. Medlock. There's no way unless they dig it out of the earth or pick it off the trees, Mrs. Medlock answered. They stay out in the grounds all day and see no one but each other. And if they want anything different to eat from what's sent up to them, they need only ask for it. Well, said Dr. Craven, so long as going without food agrees with them, we need not disturb ourselves. The boy is a new creature. So is the girl, said Mrs. Medlock. She's begun to be downright pretty since she's filled out and lost her ugly little sour look. Her hair's grown thick and healthy-looking, and she's got a bright color, the glummest, ill-natured little thing she used to be. And now her and Master Colin laugh together like a pair of crazy young ones. Perhaps they're growing fat on that. Perhaps they are, said Dr. Craven. Let them laugh. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. If you enjoyed today's bite, please drop us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to check us on our website, www.biteatatimebooks.com, or all the social media at Bite at a Time Books. Again, my name is Bree Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow while we take the next bite of The Secret Garden.